Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs. The connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. American boys are living what many of them have described as a double life from the outside. They look like the boy next door, but on the inside, they have this secret emotional life that not even their parents know about. They are not the boys in the headlines. They are just typical boys, your sons, maybe even the boys next door. Harvard psychologist Dr. William Pollack has talked to thousands of boys across America who revealed their innermost thoughts about a lot of things, about sex, about violence, about body image, and how they really feel about their parents. In his book, Real Boys' Voices, Dr. Pollack says that boys are desperate to reveal their true feelings. I think boys always try to keep a tough face. You'd be like considered gay if you were to talk about like, all your feelings all the time and definitely get like harassed for that. There are times when I can go home and I'll just punch my pillow because I just had such a bad day and I'm so angry. The only person I ever really hit was my father. How I dealt with the teasing was just basically I bottled it all in and kept it all to myself. It just starts to bottle and bottle and bottle and it gets big and big and like in the case of Columbine, it exploded. There's pain and heartache and things are not perfect. Many boys are searching to be loved. I don't tell them about a lot of the problems that I'm having at school because I want, I want them to see me as a strong kid and so there are things that I just don't want anyone else to know that I have to deal with by myself. And in the wake of the Columbine massacre, Dr. Pollack talked to boys from Littleton, Colorado, who reveal how they've healed and lessons learned after surviving that trauma. Take a look at what a few of those boys had to say. We've witnessed an act of violence firsthand, and 
when you see the actual effects of something like it and how devastating it is, you realize how much small things that you might think insignificant can really affect someone else, whether you know it or not. Columbine could happen again because the way people treat other people or the way other guys treat guys, they don't really care about other people, they just care about themselves. And if they're feeling pain, I guess, they feel that someone else should feel pain. It has definitely made me have second thoughts about how I treat others as far as being prejudiced against them or just prejudging them before I know anything about their life, what they've been through, you know, what kind of family or house they come from. Now that this happened at Columbine, the tragedy, I think it's easier for me to let my feelings out and to tell people what I'm thinking. With my feelings, I just try to hold them inside. I still do carry the survivor guilt with me. There are a lot of times where I will be back in the school reflecting on the sequence of events and wondering what I could have done differently and saying, why did I run? Why did I, why did I think only of myself? I think it just stays there with you. I don't think most people will ever forget about it. I won't forget about it. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Dr. Pollock says boys everywhere have been affected by what happened in Columbine, and many fear that they too could snap. Really? Absolutely. I identified in Real Boys Voices what I call the Columbine Syndrome. Not about Columbine, but about the rest of America. Mm -hmm. Boys are afraid of their own anger, and we're afraid of boys. What boys experience is that they're seen as predators, that they're seen as danger, and we're trying to make things safe. But the way we make things safe, safe schools, so-called zero tolerance, makes boys more upset, more traumatized, and more likely to be violent. Why? Because instead of listening to them, instead of connecting to them, we treat them like criminals, like predators, like they're just about to shoot somebody, and they start to feel that way themselves, get scared, push it underneath because they can't talk about it, and then all of a sudden they snap. What's interesting to me is I think now a lot of boys, all boys, all races, all sizes, all different cultures and communities are experiencing for the first time what young black men have experienced Absolutely. for centuries. 
you know, you see a group of black men walking down the street, whether you want to admit it or not, most people feel like, oh, God, I don't know what's going to happen here, or a group of black men get on an elevator. Chris Rock made a joke after the Columbine shooting saying he feels the same way about white boys now. And I don't think that that's really so much of a joke. I see when you, when you see a group of boys, period, regardless of what their race or social background now, they're there are a number of us who are sort of taken aback. You're like, wonder what's going on? Let's be careful. Is something going to happen here? And why is that? It's because we've decided that it's the boys who are the problem rather than the society that's the problem. Uh-huh. We don't realize that it's the message we're giving boys in that boy code, that they have to be stoic, that they have to push their feelings back, that they have to succeed, that they have to go after girls as a trophy. And we don't realize that boys are sweet, caring, full people like everybody else. And so we see these images of boys who hurt, these images of boys who are in pain. Because boys show are trained it. from the from the day they're born to be tough and don't cry. Don't cry. Don't show your feelings. Don't be a wuss, or we'll make fun of you. Okay, I think parents need to know that that when you say to your sons in their infant stages, "Don't cry, little boys, don't cry," uh, you, that that's what you're really saying is push your feelings down. And when you push them down, they build and they build and they build, and some boys get depressed. Some boys get isolated and some boys get violent. Bullying and isolation are at the core of many school shootings. Bullying is at an all-time high in the schools. 81% of students admitting to harassing their classmates. Dr. Pollack says boys who are bullied hide their feelings because they fear being humiliated, not being man enough. They also fear being injured. And in this day and age, they fear being even killed. This is Debbie and her 12-year-old son, David. Debbie says she had no idea her good-natured son was hiding unbearable pain. Dear Oprah, my 12-year-old son David is thoughtful, kind, and tenderhearted. I had no hint that anything was wrong with him until we sat down to watch one of your recent shows. You had on a girl who read a letter to a couple thanking them for starting a suicide prevention program that saved her life. Last year, I was in a terrible place. I never, never seemed to fit in. I had nothing to live for. No one to talk to, nowhere to turn. The pain I felt was too much to bear. I wanted to die. As she read the letter, my son started crying. He said, Mom, I feel just like that. I'm worthless. Sometimes I wish I could just die. I had no idea he was hiding so much pain. He opened up for the first time and said, The kids at school hate me. They tease me about everything. They call me chipmunk, fatty, and fag. It really makes me mad. His body shook as he cried even harder. My heart is breaking. What can I do? I'm afraid my son will suddenly snap. The pressure is too much. Please help us. Sincerely, Debbie Ryan. Well, we're glad you're both here and glad you saw that show. That's why why we do them. So you had no idea, no clues, no... As of late, let's put it that way. Um, I I can see in his body language and, and just the way... He would go in his room and close the door. Something was going on, and I would say, honey, you know, what's going on? Oh. Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) I'm fine, Mom. Yeah. Well, Dr. Pollack talked to David to find out why he and so many other boys have kept his pain and desperation hidden for so long. It's, like, really hard to deal with because all my life I've been taking a lot of stuff from other people. I'm like, hey... What's the point? What's the point of living, being there, anything? Your mom, who cares so much about you and who mostly you can tell, 
Do you think she knows just how really bad you feel about yourself sometimes? Mm, not all the time, but sometimes I'll tell her. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to let her know how bad it is, huh? No, because, like, she'll just tell me, to, like, it'll be all okay and everything, and the more I tell her about it, the more angry she gets with the kids at the school, and it just kind of all turns back into the whole I don't want to tell my mom thing. In my dreams and everything, it's like everything can be perfect. And while I'm asleep, it's like everything's way better and everything. But while I'm awake, it's just like the complete contradiction of that, that my whole life is a disaster. You feel like your life is a disaster? Partially, because like, that's how everything makes me feel. So it you seems. get picked on? A lot. A lot. Bullying is a national epidemic, especially amongst boys. 160,000 kids a year miss school, a day of school because they've been bullied. And parents love their kids and want to know what to do. And sometimes moms want to do the best thing. You want to do the best thing. You want to run down there and say, stop that, stop that. Exactly. But then the school doesn't listen. And also, isn't it true you, you say that sometimes how parents react can make matters worse? That's why kids don't want to tell their parents. Right. Because their, their parents then want to... Uh, run and say stop it or sometimes they call the bully's parent and yeah. that, makes, that makes it worse. And what I tell parents about is the ways they can do it. One of the ways is gather with other parents. Don't do it alone. Right. Make sure you're not alone. Make sure your boy isn't isolated when it happens. Right. Make sure the other boys and the culture of the school changes. We need schools and organizations to change the culture and to have no tolerance for bullying but understand what causes it because you know what? Those bullies are depressed themselves. When I came into school every day, I knew I was gonna get teased, but I kind of wondered to myself, you know, what was it gonna be today? Thoughts came into my mind like, why don't I have any friends? Why aren't people there to, you know, say, hey guys, stop it, you know, you can see that he's hurt. It felt like with each word that they said, there was little knives sticking into my heart. And it felt like, I was breaking into little pieces inside. There are some days when I feel totally alone and helpless to do anything about it. I had a tough time talking to my parents about it when I went to middle school. Sometimes I'd go from, you know, a point of feeling good about myself and then I just dropped down to another point of just hating myself. I did actually find that by being teased, I actually hated myself more so than hating them. They actually made me believe, you know, what, what they were saying, you know, was true. I believe that is, you know, what did cause me to almost kill myself. That was right after a lot of the kids were just crashing down on me and just being mean. So it was rough. And I went home, my mom wasn't there, the house was kind of dark, and it was raining, and I just looked at myself in the mirror and said, geez, I wish I were dead. And I just went into the kitchen, I got a knife, and I was about to slit my wrist. I never told anybody about it. I just kind of held it inside of me for a very long time, a lot longer than I had wanted to. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. We're talking about the secret emotional lives of boys, young boys, with Dr. Bill Pollack, author of Real Boys' Voices. Now, this is Carrie and her 12-year-old son, Ben. Carrie wrote to us also saying that she feels one day her son will snap. Dear Oprah, my 12-year-old son, Ben, is having trouble dealing with anger. He is constantly teased and bullied in school, and he takes it out on his little brother and others. I worry about his emotional well-being. He says he always feels alone. My biggest fear is that he would lose control at any moment. What should I do? Sincerely, Carrie Labar. Ben says he often feels like he wants to hit somebody and doesn't know what to do with that anger. Is that right, Ben? Yes. Yeah. I just want to explode. You know, what Ben's suffering from is what boys across America are suffering from. And if you'll let me, you're being so courageous. I think this is what a real boy is like. You're being a real hero. But I can see almost tears in your eyes because I think what's behind that anger is really sadness. And we don't let boys like you, great boys, express their sadness. And if we let you express your sadness, we let your moms be close to you, we let your moms protect you, and we had schools that were more like that where you could cry and be sad and people didn't make fun of you, you wouldn't have to hurt, have so much pain and be so angry, I think. Right. What do you think? Yeah, because the school is no, no violence tolerance and there's nothing about verbal and these kids just, they can say anything you, they want to you. And finally you you just explode and you get in trouble because you're not the kind of person that says stuff back. Because you're a caring guy who has feelings. We have to make what I call shame-free zones, a place where a boy can feel as safe in school or in sports or with his coach as he feels at home with his mom or hopefully his dad. What's he supposed to do now? What he's supposed to do now is to get the support from his family, from his mom, and get the sense that he's not an angry boy, he's not a bad boy, but he's a sad boy and there's nothing wrong with having sadness and a safe place to express it. If that can be at home at first, okay, and then mom with other moms and other parents talk to that school so that sadness can be expressed and so that verbal teasing and bickering stops. We have to have zero tolerance for the activity but understanding about those other boys because they're sad and they're acting bad in their ways and that's how we make for change. Right. Recently I went in and, and spoke with the vice principal and so forth and we were told with the, the verbal comments and so forth that he just has to live with it. Yeah, and that is totally unacceptable. I mean, one thing I, I, I've said over and over again and I say in the book is this idea comes from boys will be boys. You just have to live with it. Well, what you live with is putting up a mask, 
feeling lousy and getting angry. And then when some boys snap and get angry and they hurt someone, we say, how could they do that? They must have bad parents. That school has to change. And I'm calling on you, I'm calling on America to organize and let those principals know, those superintendents know, those school committees know that is unacceptable. Yeah, that is no longer acceptable behavior to say that to boys and to moms and to their families. That's what a PTA association could do. It needs to do it that. Needs to, it needs to do because just think of it, just think of this. Because one of the greatest lessons I ever learned on this show was we were interviewing young people who were starting their own businesses. And I interviewed a 13-year-old English young man who said, Oprah, the only difference between children and adults is that children don't have as much life experience. Otherwise, our feelings are the same. And I'm telling you, in that moment, my view of children completely changed. You're just people with not as much life experience. And that is why the suicide rate is so high, because when you don't have enough life experience to know that this too shall pass, mm -hmm. it is even more difficult and more painful. And that's why parents who say to their kids, oh, it's just puppy love, it's not really real, or what they're saying to you doesn't really matter, you'll get over it. It isn't true, because you don't have the life experience. You don't have the view from, from where you are sitting, but I think we could change. That is a thing we could change. Because I was just saying, imagine if all of us went to work every day and you were allowed on your job just to say whatever you wanted to say, or anybody could say whatever they wanted to say, call you out of your name, make you feel miserable, and try to devastate you on a daily basis. We would not tolerate it. It would a not be tolerated. Absolutely. And they, people would be out the next day. And we'll yet be we, out the next day. And we let it be done to children. To children. To children. We did a show with uh, the columnist Bob Green on the tortured children. And there was this community in Indiana where this little girl had been uh, murdered by her stepfather, I think, on, on Easter Sunday. And what the community did, they, they all said, everybody knew, the neighbors, the teachers, the schools, the friends, all knew that this child was being battered at home. And nobody felt that there was anything they could do. They'd call DCFS and everybody. And at this child's burial, after the child was buried, they went down and protested at the courthouse. And to their credit, but I asked the question, what would have happened if you had protested at the house before? What would happen if all of you parents who feel this way, and if bullying is at 81% in the country, you are not the only mom and you are not the only mom. What if you all got together now and not wait until somebody's son or daughter or a whole school has been shot up? What if you got together now en masse and went to your school and used the newspapers and used the media and say, this is what is happening to my son and I am not going to stand for it anymore? What if you did that? We were told we're the only ones complaining. You're not. Absolutely You're not. not. You're not. You're not the only ones complaining. And you're not alone. You and shouldn't you're not feel alone. Yeah, you shouldn't. You, you shouldn't. You, we all got the webs. There's got to be a www.bullying.com somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or, or there you, will be. Or there will this. be. Or you can go and you can organize with other people. If, if it's at 81% in the country, your son is, a, you know, he, he is not the only one. Ben, you're not the only one being tortured by these kids. I thought I was because no one was communicating. Everybody held it inside. No one was talking. And... That's why I'm glad this show is on. Teachers stand outside for re recess and they talk. Well, all this stuff is going on, the language, the, the bullying, and I'm looking over at them like... Help me. Yes. Help me. Right. Help me. Help me.
Well, I'm telling you, that's what, that's what you need to do. You need to organize with yourself and other parents, and you go en masse to that school. And I'm telling you, if you're on whatever city you're in, if you go to your local news station or your local, local newspaper, and you're raising some cane about it, and you draw attention to your school, and you say, we want zero tolerance, as Ben has just said, and David said, not just for physical fights, but the verbal abuse as well. Because as every person has said here on this show today, it cuts you inside just because you don't see the physical scars. You can, you, this can be changed. We don't have to keep putting up with this. <laughs> now meet Joe. Like many boys, he is leading what Dr. Pollock calls a double life. Joe says he feels intense pressure to keep his true emotions bottled up. My dad died when I was two. And my mom was in the hospital since I was two up until about 11 or 12. And I've been able to desensitize myself to both emotional and physical pain. I've been accused of not letting my feelings out. And I feel that by holding my feelings in, I, it just gives me that greater edge to empower me to do other things, to do better in school, to do better physically, mentally, and everything that I do. I don't think it's a bad thing for me. I've had a few times in the past where I've slipped into a blind rage. And it feels like I can't control myself. I mean, I don't want people to see that. I have developed a mask. When I become enraged, I stop talking, and people have said I've had a look in my eyes. And I usually, at that point, try and stay away from people so that there's nothing to trigger my rage. I'm afraid that I, if I let my rage out, I will physically hurt somebody severely. When things get to be too much, a lot of people say that there's no one to turn to, but I don't feel I need to turn to anybody. I feel that I, mean, I can handle it myself. I go out and I, I'll run a couple of miles. I'll bike a couple of miles. You know, I'll, I'll go work out. I have some way to, to release all this pent up emotion. I don't have any desire to open it to anybody. I mean, maybe in the future I will, but who knows? I don't feel it's anything that hurts me. So you don't, you feel that not feeling doesn't hurt you? No, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, I've done it my entire life. I don't... How old are you? I'm 18. 18. I don't feel... I really don't. I don't... I can go watch, you know, anything. I've seen things on TV, you know, Columbine. I mean, I feel bad, but, you know, I've... Things have happened to me. I don't feel pain at all, and I don't know that it's a bad thing. But, Joe, you know, you also say that sometimes you feel like you could snap and all this anger can come out, too. Right, but... I mean, I've, I feel that over time, with experience, you gain control over your emotions. Well, I think you're struggling to do the best possible thing, and I wouldn't be critical of you at all, but in our society, this is the message we give to boys and young men, that they should have how a mask. How did we do this? How did we do this? Well, and how do we do this? The way we do this is from childhood onward, from little boys, we say, little boys shouldn't cry. Little boys should stand on their own two feet. Get away from their mamas. Don't be too close. Don't hug. Don't show your feelings. Be stoic. Don't turn to anybody in time of help. That's how you're going to do well in school. That's how you're going to be a, a real boy. Boys have said over and over again in their voices, that's what they're told. And if they don't do that and they run back to mommy and daddy crying or they ask for help, we shame them. We harden them with shame. And, and he's doing the best that he can. But our society deserves to let boys have more, to have a full life where they can be connected because boys grow up into men, Oprah. Mm -hmm. And then women say, even if they're not hurting anyone, women say, how come they can't share their feelings with me? Mm -hmm. How come they can't be 
loving and caring. And it's because of the way it starts early on. And we have to change That's that. That's the mantra on this show for women. <laughs> Why can't he be more feeling? Joe's mom, where's Joe's mom? Um, from the time his dad died and when I was in the hospital all the time, I can't remember seeing him cry. I don't think in all the years that he's cried. Now, I never said that to him. I would go to him and try and say, you know, how do you feel? How, how does this affect you? And he doesn't talk about it. I mean, so this started really, really early on. Well, I talk to boys across the nation, and this exists everywhere, maybe more so. But, you know, when you try to draw it out, one of the things I talk about is I call it time silence or action talk. A lot of times, especially younger boys, can't sit face to face like girls can and mm -hmm. look in your eyes and cry and tear. Some can, but some can't. They have to engage in an activity, play a game, look away, the give them car. some space. I'm sorry? Be in the car. Be in the car, mm -hmm. go for a ride, and then all of a sudden it opens up and those tears come out from behind the anger or from behind that mask. Whereas girls, we walk in and tell you everything. Yeah. <laughs> it happened today and who said and what she had on, where we sat and what we ate and what we did, but boys, boys don't. No, and they're, and they're taught not to. Yeah. But we can get behind that mask. There are ways to get behind that mask. I'm Joe's best friend, and sometimes when he gets behind that mask, it is kind of scary for me. Because I know inside that something's wrong and I, I can't do anything to help him out. What, what do you want to tell him? Just that I'm help there for him. him. He knows that. I'll always be there for him. Put your hand around him. <laughs> That's what boys need. I know it's hard for boys to do that. Men do this whole languaging thing that without let themselves feeling. So instead of saying, that's, that's nice, instead of saying, I'm really there for you, I love you, you're my friend, I would do anything for you, they do the, yo, hey, ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, man, thing. I, I guess that's supposed to mean the same thing, right? Right, but it's okay, we can touch. Boys can touch, men can yo. touch. <laughs> Now meet uh, Jefferson, who feels that he basically grew up on his own and felt completely disconnected. This is also what this is about, is about disconnection uh, from, from parents because they had to work so much. I have this empty spot in my life. My soul isn't satisfied. For some reason, um, I feel lonely. My parents have provided for me well, very well, but I haven't felt that they loved me and I haven't loved them back, sadly to say. I don't feel comfortable talking with my parents because of this distance that we have with each other. I bottle up my feelings. I have all this anger and I need to punch things get, to get rid of it. Just get all violent, all over. Sometimes I get so angry that I have to wake up screaming it into my pillow. It's just that intense. I don't talk to anyone about it because it makes me seem weak. I can vent and deal with it myself for the most part. The anger I feel that I can't change myself has plagued me for so long. I am always striving for a change in myself to satisfy my soul. That might be part of my feeling of loneliness. It's this whole idea of trying to get this change in me to find affection. And it perhaps is a very painful goal for other people as well. You're talking about your emptiness that you feel inside. This is the boy code. This is what we tell boys, that they can't express their feelings, they have to stand on their own two feet. And then what comes out is anger, 
and what's inside is a kind of sadness or a kind of hollowness right from the beginning. Talk uh, about it. I guess I, I've, my parents have told me occasionally that uh, when I was younger that I shouldn't cry, boys don't cry, uh, the things that you said before. But they haven't raised me much, and I guess I didn't get too much of that. It's partially language barrier or culture barrier or whatnot, but I was raised by a lot of other people, and I feel that I've gotten a lot of life experience from it. And expressing my emotions is something that I'm dealing with now. I'm, I've always been lonely. I always felt a little lonely, and I guess I can't talk to a group of people, but I can talk on a one-to-one -one basis with someone. Can you explain, because I don't know if I've ever felt that, and I've heard a lot of boys on this show and on uh, uh, previous shows we've done with Dr. Pollock, and some of you today even described waking up with this feeling of rage that you need to punch your, your pillow. What is that? Uh, it's something innate, something in you. You have all these things that happen all day, and it just builds up inside of you. Uh, there are other factors. You don't want to admit to it. You don't want to f seem weak to other people, but it just stays in you. And so I'm is not it sure. about being mad at a particular thing or angry about a particular thing? And sometimes it's a, a particular thing. I can't change. Why can't I change? Dang yeah. it! Uh -huh. Pow! Uh -huh. Or um, I'm just mad at everything today. Yeah. yeah. This is Chris, a cheerleader. He is struggling to overcome a violent past. Growing up, my uh, father was abusive to me, my sister, and my mother, and my father used to hit us with belts, yell at us, scream at us, cuss at us, whatever. It was a very hard time for me at first because I was always kind of scared of him, just waiting for that next hit with the belt and next reaction to something I did. And as I got older and bigger and stronger, I, I was able to kind of somewhat defend myself. And I'd just come back and hit him wherever I could. I used to take my anger on people and objects at the house. Like I can remember times where I kicked hole, a hole in the door down the basement. And as I got older, I realized that that's not what I want to do. My father probably started his abusiveness at a young age because his father was abusive. I decided to try and break that cycle in my life. You still feel the rage? Not really. I've learned to talk things out. My mom was really great about that. I think Chris is a boy hero. I mean, we heard about the particular abuse, and abuse is a real issue. But boys are treated violently or seen as being violent all across America, and you were trying to make a change in your life. That's what being a real boy is about. I mean, that's what being a real hero is about, not taking out a gun, not fighting somebody, but making it stop right here, making a difference, and telling society, no, I won't let you shut me down. I'm going to talk about my feelings. No, I won't hide how I feel inside. I won't be afraid to be vulnerable. I won't be half a person. I'm gonna be the kind of guy that can express how he feels to boys, to girls, to men, to women. You're really trying to make a change. But does everyone accept that, you know? Most people around me that are around me now, like Joey and all my friends and everybody that I do hang out with, they do accept it. They know that that's what I'm about. I'm about somebody that that likes to share their feelings and is vocal about their feelings. They, they're not, I'm not afraid to cry in front of other people. Good and it's, it's just a boundary that I've set up that there's no limits for me. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll be myself. 
Well, we were talking earlier about how this happened. As you were saying, guys go to school or kids pull out AK-47s and everybody's now like, oh, how did this happen? How did this happen? As Chris was saying, it's not just, you know, a lot of people didn't say to their boys, don't cry verbally a lot. But every single thing in society tells you as a young man, as a boy, that you are supposed to repress your feelings and not be who you really are. I mean, look, look at television, look at commercials, look at all the ads, look at everything that you see in the world that reflects back what being a boy or a man is, yes. is about, yo, hey, ha. Right. You know? Fighting. <laughs> Fighting. Being strong, being macho, and the worst thing in the world is doing anything vulnerable or caring, because that's called being feminine, or you call being gay, and then you're bullying and your teeth. A wuss, a, wuss, a win. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Pollock says some boys live in constant fear that they're not masculine enough. This is Jeff, who says he felt like an outcast until he lost his virginity. Everyone will always be talking about sex. They'd always ask if you had sex, and it was just horrible. I did want to have sex because I didn't want people to, you know, think I was a virgin. I didn't want people. I didn't want to, have to lie about it anymore. Everyone looked at it as like, like this thing that you just wanted to get rid of. And I remember um, being up at night, one night at like one o'clock, and I couldn't go to sleep. And I was just thinking that, like, am I ever going to have a relation? Am I ever gonna lose my virginity? And everyone would give you like high fives if you did it. You wouldn't be made fun of anymore. It was like a trophy. If you were to take a girl's virginity, you're the first person to have sex with that girl. And you broke her forbidden barrier. And that, to all guys, is a big deal. And so I was really pressured into doing it. I kind of felt that if I didn't have sex with her, and they'd think I was like a loser. Wow, that still is the case? Um, yeah, I definitely say it's still the case. And um, kids in high school, if they don't have sex with a girl, they're ridiculed, they're called like virgin boy, and stuff like that. It's really, it's really hard, and it pressures you to have sex at an early age. You're telling us something really important, because often when we hear about boys and sex, a lot of America thinks of boy, about boys, especially mother, uh, mothers of girls, as predators. Uh, and I think what you're talking about is the pressure that's put on you, that you can't be who you want to be. You can't have a relationship the way you want to have it. And when I talked about it to boys across the country, a lot of boys said, I want to have girls as friends. I'm not ready for sex, but I'm afraid to tell anybody that. I have to keep lying and making believe where I have to have sex because society won't let me that be that kind of boy. They won't say I'm a real boy. They'll call me a wuss, a wimp, a fag, something like that if I don't go ahead and have sex. So this kind of change isn't just to help boys' hearts and to deal with the pain. It's to help girls and women across America as well. That's why we have to change this. I sometimes so say- So is it like an initiation? That's what I want to know. Yeah, yes, go ahead. it's definitely like an initiation. It is? Yeah. I mean, once you lose your virginity, everyone's like, wow. And, and the whole time when uh, people were talking about sex, I was like young, I was 15, and I realized that they were lying as well. Everyone was lying, and that was just making the problem so much worse. This is Melissa, Joel, and their son, Jordan. They were at uh, their wit's end last year because they didn't know why Jordan had gone from being what they called a good student to a behavior problem. Take a look at how Dr. Pollock helped Jordan and this family uncover why he was so angry. He's got this anger, and he is so mad at the world. Why? We don't, we don't know. I pound on desks, throw notebooks, throw any objects. When I try to talk to Jordan, he shuts down. He doesn't want to admit to anything that he's doing wrong. Sometimes something will be going on. There'll be some struggles in the family. Anything 
like that going on for the two of you or in the family? Not that I just my lupus, but I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. You think something might be bothering you inside? No, not really. And I guess your mom gets sick from time to time. Is it scary when your mom gets sick? She told me that she had the disease. I'm like, so are, can you die from it anytime soon? She's like, well, I can die from it, but not anytime soon. I'm like, uh-oh. So Melissa says Jordan is completely turned around. How so? He has made a complete U-turn. He has been, our family has been more as one of a family where he can, if he's got a problem, he can come and tell us what's wrong with him. Yes. What did you want to say? Dr. Pollock's commitment to this situation. The time that he spent with Jordan was phenomenal. He gave me direction, most of all, to say, hey, take the time. That's what fathers have to do. Put the remote down. Put whatever it is down. Take the time. Yeah. It means a lot. Fantastic. That's great. Many boys say a spiritual connection to their soul helps them overcome their inner struggles. 17-year-old Michael needed strength to survive a painful childhood that left him drowning, he says, in loneliness. When I was around eight, my parents divorced, and it started getting rough between me and my father. I can remember feeling so alone, like I didn't have a friend in the world. And this small dim star, it's right directly below the ladle of the Big Dipper. It spoke to me. Since then, since that young age of eight, him and I have been through quite a bit together. I was pretty much the all-American kid. My freshman year, a new girl enrolled in our school. We dated for nine, 10 months, and it abruptly ended. I started turning inward. I wouldn't talk to anybody. It quickly evolved into a depression. I had started doing a lot of drugs. One day, I looked in the mirror, and I had no idea who I was looking at. I knew I needed to get help. Even at this point in time, I turned to my friend, the star. Talking with the star, having a conversation with the star, it serves as a mediator between my external and internal self. I know that my bout with depression made me a more sensitive person. Everything that I'd ever been through, it was a miracle. It was a blessing. Today, I'm helping teenagers realize that suicide is not a solution by offering them the kind of friend that the star has always offered me. My spirit is now tireless. It cannot be conquered. It cannot even be dented. My spirit is what I really am. And when it is my time to go, I'll be sure to make a stop on my way up to heaven and personally thank my star. Dr. Pollock's book is called Real Boys Voices. Thank you to all the boys who shared their stories with us today. Thank you. Thank you, boys. Yo. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.